You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. I can't believe it. We're finally starting with good news. Yeah, I uh, don't know how I'm supposed to feel still. I mean, I am terrified for like the next 70-ish days. Yes, the possible attempted coup. <laughs> but good thing everybody in the administration is so effing dumb <laughs> like it's just not gonna work oh. but anyway we have a new president elect here Thank in these united states yes yeah, so all of you non-u.s listeners uh don't have to hear us bitching about that anymore well don't have to hear us bitching about trump i disagree yeah. with all of Mr. Centrist Biden. <laughs> it's true, but it's not going to be like the Paul that he, that no, I, Mr. Trump cast over our lives. Yeah, like I won't have to worry about like picking fights with North Korea. <laughs> Just, it's not funny, but the fact that that, like, that even happened, yeah. yeah. That that even happened. happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is is crazy. This whole year is like the I'd have two nickels, nickels. but it's weird that it happened twice, <laughs> twice right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like we so needed this dub. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, everybody who lives in anywhere, but if you lived in a city, just like seeing people pour out into the streets, like was it a COVID hotbed? Probably, but like seeing people just like so happy, and right after that, we got the news. Uh, I went for a run and every single Divi bike in our neighborhood was rented and people were just riding around like hooping, hooting and hollering. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, for hours, people were just beeping on the street outside of us, like happy beeping. Yeah. And we like went out and about and like mm-hmm. celebrated socially distantly. Yes. Yeah. We did not. We saw the crowds and then left. <laughs> we were like, is too much for us. But there was some, lots of people dancing in the streets, literally dancing in the street. Apparently dancing in the street and Party in the USA both made the top 40 charts again this past week. <laughs> I am not surprised. One, because Party in the USA is, is a bop. phenomenal. Um, but two, we all were partying in the and, USA. Yeah. And yeah, dancing huh? in the streets. Yep. It was a good time. It was a good time. And again, we needed this dub. We start every <laughs> podcast being like, here's how the world sucks. And now I can be like, here's how the world sucks slightly less. We are marginally above where we were before. Yeah. And then Alex Trebek died. So it's like, oh, God, 2020 giveth and then immediately taketh away. I, I sat on the couch crying for a good 10 minutes. It I was, was I was sad. Devastating. Yeah. My dad has said that his dream job after he retires from being a news anchor is hosting Jeopardy. <laughs> I am really surprised. Um, not surprised. I'm like really looking forward to what they're going to do, if anything. Because I thought when Garrison Keillor retired that they just like wouldn't do Prairie Home Companion anymore. Yeah. And they do. I don't listen to it. But you know who really should like host Jeopardy? Who? Is Ken Jennings. He is the rightful successor. He's the rightful heir. He owns jeopardy he really does and he seems like such a lovely gentleman yeah Um, god watch us find out something terrible about ken jennings because again 2020 giveth and then immediately take it away he is or was a mormon i'm pretty sure i'm not gonna say that's terrible no no no. okay but it's just like a fact that is very at odds with his like public persona yeah yeah very interesting um it's like a Brandon Flowers is a Mormon, and you're like, you're also a rock star. So that's a really interesting combination of things. Fascinating. Anyway, welcome to the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast where now we're going to talk about Teen Wolf, but had all that other shit to get out of the way first. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. Do you think that people know that in the intro, when it's like, you're listening to the whatever, uh, that they know it's me? I can't say because I have never listened to it objectively. That's what As I'm an saying. Outside person. We're like, I don't particularly, it doesn't sound like my speaking voice because mm-hmm. that's, you know, voice acting or whatever. Oh. <laughs> but like, I always think like, do, do our listeners, can they be like, oh, that's Christian who does the intro. We should re-record it with you. No, that would be, that would throw everybody off. It'd be pretty funny. It would be very funny. Well, you know how like the, um, the, like, here's what you missed on Teen Wolf is. Here's what you missed on Glee. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, here's what you missed on Teen Wolf is done by like all of the different actors. Yes, which I find so interesting because usually a show just picks a character and sticks with it. But yeah, I I don't know. I but like it's like the... fun. Like all of a sudden it's like Holland Roden, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Where was she? Lydia's not in this episode. Uh, it just that. Just... Okay, it's a testament to how good this episode was. Where I wasn't like, where the hell is Lydia? 
But where was she? There was, I think also there, we yearn for Lydia more when there's like a significant lack of women in the episode, but because this episode is pretty much entirely about like Kira, Melissa and Allison, like Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're part of all of the major plots. Yeah. It's less, you're not like name a woman, you know? It's not as noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this episode is called Silverfinger, and it's episode five of season three B. Yes, and it was written by a woman named Moira McMahon, uh, who wrote for Private Practice and Grey's Anatomy, and then you tell. Teen Wolf one time, um, and then directed by a woman named Jennifer Lynch, who has worked on Ratchet and American Horror Story and Daredevil. Two things I really like, and one I've not seen. Yeah. Uh, we love Daredevil. We, we we've love Daredevil so much. much. We love Daredevil. Um, yeah, and I you can her her prowess is well detected in this episode. I was impressed. It's funny because I don't think I had a particularly fond memories of this episode. Um, I think just because I think of it as like the episode before Riddled, mm-hmm. but watching it, I was like, God, I am not in the mood. And we watched it, and I was like, No, this was so fun. I had a great time. It could have felt really bogged down by all of the exposition that it had to do, and it succeeded in being very interesting. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. And also, despite it being very dark, could still see things. Well, I think that's now because the sun sets here at like 4.15 p.m. That helps a lot. Yes. Um, for the TV watching, not my personal mental health. Uh, yeah. Daylight savings time really does suck. I hate that the sun is up at 6.30 I will not, I will not be awake with the sun. On the one hand, like in the summertime, I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe the sunshine is still here at 930 in the evening. I would like to be cozy, but then it, the drastic shift to four o'clock and I'm like, can we have a, can we have a middle ground? At least we don't live in like, forgive me for anybody who lives in Scandinavia, but like at least we don't live in Scandinavia where you get three hours of daylight in the winter. I I don't know how they do it. And I think I would go nuts to have only three hours of nighttime in the summer. Oh, for sure. Cause you can buy, it's the thing where like, if you're cold, you can always put more sweaters on. Like if it's dark outside, you can buy those sad lamps and you can get the UV rays, but you can't turn off the sun. No. Which is so annoying. That was actually the problem with the last couple of days weather-wise. It was like yeah. so hot. And just now we're having like what I would refer to as a Great Lakes hurricane. So it's finally going to cool down. But yeah. Yeah. It was really aggressive. Mm-hmm. But do, again, does make for really good Teen Wolf watching conditions. It was spoopy. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of out of spooky season, although, as I have mentioned before, we are into Christmas, which, which is, is equally, if not more, haunted in my professional opinion. I just think that's very funny. It's okay. The main, the main piece of media that we model our like m- modern Christmas traditions after is a ghost story. There's three ghosts, it's a Christmas carol. You know, I never think about A Christmas Carol. I know that it's super prominent, and I know that, like, there are plays of it produced every year, and there's, like, a Muppet Christmas Carol, but I'm always just like, A Muppet Christmas Carol is so good. But it's not, no, I'm not being like, oh, Christmas Carol is good, because I'm on the record of not liking Charles Dickens, but it literally repopularized Christmas, like, globally, because of the, like, popularity of the book. People, like, not didn't stop celebrating it, but, like, wasn't. I mean, I would like to say that it's not that Christmas fell in popularity among people who celebrate it as a religious holiday, but perhaps the commercialization. Yes. And and like the big festivities. Um, And it's a ghost story. My favorite (laughs) Christmas movie is arguably a ghost story. It's it's a wonderful life. Terrifying. That is a ghost story. It it freaked me out so much as a child that I can't watch it anymore. Yeah. Think of all of the scary movies about Christmas. Um, The Grinch. Arguably scary. To young children, yes. Yeah. To me, sometimes, yes. It's like how uh, children don't find Coraline scary, but adults do. Oh my God, my mom just showed Coraline like um, as like an outdoor movie event for the high school that she runs, and she had never seen it before, and she was texting me, and she was like, why do children like this movie? I love that movie. It's like, I cannot explain it to you. No. Um, so now that we're going to get into more spookies, uh, are you ready to go first in the recap? Because it's on you. Ugh, yeah, I guess. 
I uh, uh, I'm always I every time I call whether or not an episode is going to be easy or hard I'm I'm wrong so I'm not even going to comment. My notes are not as detailed as last time, so well that's on you. We'll see. I I left myself a very small section to write it down in. So okay, are you ready? <laughs> One, sure. two, three. Okay, so we um, jump into Chris having a flashback where he first learned about the Oni, although we don't know that they're called that yet. He was um, putting in a deal in Japan, and it did not go well, and there was a man with crazy eyes. Um, Scott brings Kira home, and he shows her that um, he is actually a werewolf, which makes her feel better about being um, different than where back at school. The twins really want to help Scott, um, but he is not super into it and just wants to talk to Styles. Styles is really trying to tell Scott um, about everything that he thinks he's done, but it's gone the stuff on the board is erased there's no more key um and chris is, uh, scott is really trying to uh, help him but he's just like mm, well i don't really believe you um chris is trying to get into the house of the person who survived the attack with him by selling an antique gun and he gets isaac to do it for him um melissa and styles are talking at the hospital about how upset he is and she um gives him a sedative so that he can sleep because he hasn't been doing that um then isaac scott takes Kira home um, because he's afraid that the Oni will come after him. Oop, you're I done. Know. I like saw it on your um, notebook and I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. No. I got a little flustered. Okay. Uh, are you ready for a second attempt um, at a plot overview? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We will get there sure. eventually. We'll figure it out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, one minute on the clock starting now. So Chris tells the gang about dealing with the Yakuza and the Oni and Katashi, who's also called Sing Silverfinger, and then Kira sneaks back into her house after Scott drops her off and showing or showing her that he's a werewolf. The twins catch up with Scott, and they're like, we're following Yelda because we're going to protect you. And he's like, please don't do that. And then Styles tries to tell Scott about the key and everything, but he all of the evidence is gone. And then Chris launches this plan to get to Katashi by selling this like 17th century French pistol. And Raphael sees the picture of Scott and Kira on, on the security thing from his computer, so he's pissed. Styles checks himself into the hospital because he thinks he's going crazy and Melissa gives him sedative and he says thanks mom and it hurts really my heart. Scott uh, sabotages the twins bike so he can get away from them because he's trying to protect Kara because he thinks it's her she's the one who the Oni are after. Chris uh, dresses Isaac up to play like the, the decoy duck in the gun deal and this, there's the first Alice at kiss and then Kira figures out that she's a kitsune and Melissa thinks that Styles has FTD. The Argens get sneaky and find Katashi and get him to tell them all about the Oni and uh, about uh no getsune. That is uh, one minute. But you got further and w with more detail than I did. I, I do talk fast. Uh, what we really miss is that the Oni stabbed Raphael. And then mm -hmm. after uh, being given the information from uh, Allison, uh, Scott lets the Oni into the house to check him and Kira. And they can both prove that they're not no getsune. They go to the hospital uh, to save Raphael and... Styles runs into the Oni and voids out and destroys one. And we are possibly the other two. Yeah. Yeah. And we start to get the, uh, inkling that he is the Nogitsune. It's pretty darn, it's pretty darn. Yeah. But it yeah. is like confirmed, uh, in the next mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of anticipation. It kind of feels like because it starts at sun up and we know that everything's going to go down at sundown. Oh my gosh, the thunder. I told you, Great Lakes hurricane. <laughs> Inclement weather. Yes. Um, because we we have a finite amount of time uh, to figure out everything that needs to happen in this episode. Everybody is on the edge of their seats. They are trying to prepare as best they can for the coming, what they assume is going to be a fight. And obviously ends up being sort of, I mean, it is a fight at first before they realize what the Oni need to do. And also Raphael gets stabbed, which is crazy. Wild. Um... But also, like, is it what he deserves? <laughs> Who's to say? Scott calls him a gene donor in this episode. Which is harsh. Uh, but yeah. appropriate? Yes. Um, who would you like to... Who am I talking about first? You know what? I kind of want to start with the twins. Hmm. You, what, what's on your mind? Well... It, it's funny because now I I think that their loyalty to Scott is getting slightly less selfish mm. after what happened uh, in the last episode, at the end of the last episode, when they were fighting the Oni. Um, they are clearly impacted uh, by seeing Scott in danger. 
And not even just in a way where they're like, that's our only chance to have a pack, because I think it's more emotional than that. Mm -hmm. And their whole time in the episode is spent trying to figure out what's coming next. They tell Scott that they're going to follow him all day, and they do uh, nowhere near as successfully as Derek, (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious, and we'll get there. So funny. But they seem to, I think... I mean, obviously, like, they have a, a significant decrease in their, like, status, like, their security and their status in, like, life over the season because they're no longer in the alpha pack. And I think that this is a really good example of uh, just how much your own insecurity um, can amount um, to you placing a, a, an overinvestment in trust in other people, how it can make you overly cautious of new people. They're very concerned about Kira and her place in Scott's life. And again, they don't leave him alone for the entire episode because they are trying to think about what's coming next, like what they need to do to protect themselves when the Oni arrive. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the moment where I really start to like the twins a bit more um, just because of their involvement. And we've known for a while that there is some sort of outside threat in this season, but we're not, we weren't really a hundred percent sure what it was. And we didn't really know what the, the big bad was going to be until very recently. And so I think um, the twins didn't even have a reason to want to help Scott beyond their own selfishness. And now there is an outside force and that always brings people together. Yeah. And it is also like necessitates a sense of preparedness, which again plays back into our theme of anticipation. I mean, we didn't have to spend like an extreme amount of time on the twins. I just thought their kind of presence in this episode was interesting. We're starting to like forgive them a little bit more and have even get used to the idea idea of them being in the pack so to speak which is interesting because i would not trust them as far as i could spit last last Mm -hmm. season um but it's it 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 strikes me as really interesting that they are so keyed in to what's going to happen next um yeah and then derek poses a really interesting question to them when he asks well he says you know i know that you're prepared to kill for scott and they they think that they might actually have to do that. And they're, they're very much willing as we know to kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, but Derek's like, are you willing to die for him? Because the kind of the unspoken uh-huh, bond, foreshadowing her to dirt, but like part of the unspoken bond of the pack is that they would all die for each other. Mm-hmm. Depressing, but true. Um, so yeah. I foreshadowing. Yeah. I mean, I don't find that any more depressing than like, I guess like, other sort of groups and other teen media, you yeah. know, like, like Harry, how many times does he die for his friends? <laughs> it's true. Um, Potter, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Casually Harry. Harry. Like oh, we're my good friend, best friends. Harry. Yeah. Potter. Um, speaking of Harry Potter, do you want to talk about Isaac? <laughs> because he's British. Because he's British. <laughs> and, um, could have played British for a hot minute in and this they, episode. They they really they, it would have been so fun if Isaac in his like monkey suit was like. <laughs> if all of a sudden Chris was like, oh, also I told them you were English, and they just let Daniel Sharman speak in his English. He would be so much more comfortable. We know because we're constantly like, mm, he's trying really really hard. hard. It. I remember we were like Daniel Sharman's American accent is so good in like the first episode that he was in, and now I'm listening for it, and I'm just like. Sometimes. Well, he has a lot more lines, yeah. I think. He has a lot more uh, space to f- flub it up. Yeah. Um, Isaac uh, is experiencing his uh, anticipation on a level that is a little bit more singular because he is being thrown into a situation that he has no ability to handle. Because if there is anything uh, that I have said about Isaac in this season, it's that he has no game and that is not just a flirting thing. It's like a life social thing. He has very few social skills. And is not a particularly uh, adept at lying, which I find to be... Very interesting. Also, like, sort of admirable that he is, like, somebody who's uncomfortable in 
you know, foregoing the truth. Uh, but what this does give us is um, a very unprepared teenager who has to go uh, try to make an arms deal with the Yakuza. <laughs> Uh, and he, there isn't even a moment in the episode where he says that out loud and it is truly meant for you to be like, ah, yes, that is ridiculous. Yeah. There's a little bit of winking at the camera that goes on in this particular episode, I think. Um, and also unrelated to anticipation, but I find it very interesting that Isaac would not be a very good liar considering the fact that he would have to be lying all the time when his dad was alive. Probably. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, just an interesting little tidbit. Um, but basically when they, uh, are trying to make this first of all, it's not really an arms deal. It's like an antique pistol that probably, yeah, it's basically like illegal antiques road show. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to meet in a warehouse to sell this one pistol. Because what else is antiques road show besides meeting in a warehouse to show people things? I have never understood that show, but it really (gasps) does fascinate me. You don't like Antiques Roadshow? Uh, I did not say that I didn't like it. I said oh, I don't understand I it. I love Antiques Roadshow. It seems like a wild time. Um, yeah, but Chris basically just springs this mm-hmm. on him. And also, the end game is that Allison and her father get to Silverfinger mm-hmm. eventually. But like, there's no exit strategy for Isaac except the assumption that he will be able to walk away. Or I, I think when he gets pulled back in and he's like, they have a werewolf too, something the Argents were not anticipating. Their whole idea was like, how hurt can Isaac get? He's yeah. a werewolf. He can claw his way out. Yeah. Um, but they miscalculated that part of the strategy. Yeah. Never have I related to a character more than when Isaac was like, I'm sweating so much. I didn't even know I could sweat this much <laughs> because that's just like my day to day life. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I think the anticipation that Isaac is feeling is not knowing if this um, deal is going to go well, not knowing if they're going to be accepted, not knowing that um, Allison, if Allison and her dad are going to succeed. And also, like, when you have to do something kind of nuts, which that is, like, just walking into um, a Japanese crime family to sell a gun. Any crime family. That's they not, don't even have to be Japanese. It's very true. Um, I would not want to walk into like a mafia home. No. And do that. Uh, yeah, I think he's just like waiting for the shoe to drop and to have to do something to defend himself. But when it finally happens, he like can't even figure it out. Yeah. And the worst part is that he has to draw out his experience so much to give Chris and Allison enough time. So he's like, I have to count the money, even though you know that Isaac wants nothing more than to later <laughs> immediately. He does not want to be there. Um, um, so I, it's interesting that he, he he is able to overcome that anxiety. I did really love the moment where he pulls the uh, bill counter out from his duffel bag. How much funnier <laughs> would it be, though, if he was like, I have to count this and started doing it by hand? It is Oh my God, it is so hard. When I would have to work like good closing shifts in retail, I would have to count what was in the till like five or six times just to make sure that I had not mixed up the number of 20s we had in there. Yeah. So yes. can you imagine? Couldn't. Well, at least here's the thing about like the retail till. You know that there's a set number of things a set uh, number of dollars that have to be in there. Mm-hmm. But the problem is uh, there's so many pennies <laughs> and like, you have to make sure that all of those things <laughs> add up at least with just like hundred dollar bills. You're just ca- basically mm-hmm. counting by one, you yeah. know, we should get rid of the penny. Uh, you're getting into John <laughs> green territory there. The, yeah. That is who taught me that we should get rid of the penny. But honestly, have you seen people like, This is so tacky. It is so fucking tacky. Have you seen people like epoxy their floor with like penny designs? Yeah, I would never do my floor with that. Maybe like patio furniture. I could see doing a a wall decal. Uh, Yeah. No, I could. I really think it's ugly. (laughs) It's like people who use like um, beer caps and things like that. Like I've never seen anyone do a floor, but like tables or the seats of chairs what are you doing Doing, you drink that much beer (laughs) you have that many pennies um anyway yeah i just i wanted to touch on isaac a little bit uh and that kind of leads us into our discussion on allison and chris it seems like chris has been anticipating this moment for 25 years 
Which is very interesting because we don't know uh, really anything about the youth lives of any of the parents. And then we get this about Chris, which is so interesting. Um, And the idea that it's haunted him after everything that he's done. This is the thing yeah. that sticks in his mind the most, I think is very interesting. Well, I, I, I do think in part it's because that was, uh, he mentions that it was a betrayal made by his father mm, to put Gerard. him in the situation. So not only is there a sort of like supernatural trauma here, there's also like some light child abuse. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like it is, it is the one, two punch of being betrayed by your family and also being put in a situation that you have never seen before. And then also is never recreated. He says he never sees the Oni ever again. He's never seen anything like the Nogetsune before, mm-hmm. never sees anything like it after. So I think that it's such a singular experience. It is, you know, unshocking to me that it would be so traumatizing or that he would anticipate a, a return of the situation later. You know, yeah, that he kept those faceplates all those years, mm-hmm. um, and knew exactly where to find them when the time came. Like they weren't just buried in a storage box somewhere. He he kept them close at hand. Yeah, for twenty some odd years. Um, it's kind of like the moment he's been waiting for. Yeah, yeah, and then he finally. Um, the answer is pretty unsatisfying. Like he doesn't, he doesn't walk away from the situation knowing how to stop them. He learns what they are for, but the advice that Silverfinger gives him is that he should just let the Oni destroy the Nagitsune, which, um, like we eventually find out that it's Styles, and that's like not an option. Like you can't let yeah. them destroy Styles, but, um. You know, he's waited for so long to get this answer, and like there's still those pieces of the puzzle where he's like, I don't. I don't fully know how to deal with this. Waited so long to find out that he still can't be in control of what's happening, which mm-hmm. I think is infuriating, um, especially because he's clearly been thinking about this for so long and probably making plans or, or trying to do the research to find out what everything was and to basically being told that, like, mm, yeah, it's not really in your hands after all that time would be infuriating. Um, interesting to me how quick Allison is to not push further and like questioning her dad's early life. Like I, he's like, I didn't know they were Yakuza. If I were her, I'd be like, you didn't know. Yeah. How? Mm. Yeah. Mm. But also like making private arms sales to any kind of group. Wouldn't you automatically be, it's very suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, everything terrorists. about everything about this, the very existence of the Argents is horrendously unethical. From its very inception. And the idea that he like walked into that moment um, and then learned that it was the Yakuza and that Gerard had put him there um, as like a test. And then... I, I don't know. This may come across perhaps as victim blaming, but he like that didn't make him reevaluate what his family was doing. At, at, no, at that point he would be so deep. It took Allison like a week to get radicalized. It's yeah. It's scary how fast that happens. Yeah. Um, Look at our country. <laughs> I'd rather not. Um, yeah. <laughs> Earlier we were like, we're so excited that things are getting better. Mm. Um, no. Both can be true. Two things can be true. I know that everyone's like, no nuance November. I think we can have a little nuance. No, for me, it's just no knowledge November. Yeah, no, head empty, no, no thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, I, Allison doesn't necessarily play into the plot of this episode very much, so much as she just gets to be really badass. Yes. She is just there to look cool, which I am totally okay with. But there is a moment that we had been anticipating for the past couple of episodes, and that's our first uh, Alisak kiss. What I find so interesting about this kiss is that it is a parallel to one of her first moments with Scott um, when he's nervous. And I don't remember. I think it like might be the lacrosse game mm-hmm. or something like that. And she's like, you know, think of me naked or whatever. And she's essentially trying to do the same thing here with Isaac to like give him the boost to Fluff his ego a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
like I, I didn't feel weird about it. No, and you know what? That was like kind of a fun detail that could have been really creepy or like kind of gratuitous and the it wasn't. Ass grab. No, when she tucks his shirt in. Yeah. I was like, that could have been like sort of Oh, this is so sexy, but like it shouldn't have been because it's like fucking daylight and Chris is like somewhere in the background. But I just sort of thought it was like kind of sweet, a very like kind of caretakery type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, um, and we obviously have an as an audience who have eyes have been anticipating this for a while, and it was fun to see it finally realized because whatever ship is on the screen in Teen Wolf is the one you should be shipping. That is a loud siren. It it really really is. Um, Stay safe, Chicago. This is more so um, a term that gets tossed around in like sitcoms, but like the moonlighting problem where you get your main characters together too early and then it just like ruins the momentum of the show. And um, I think that Teen Wolf got away from that potential issue by not only breaking Scott and Allison up, but giving them alternate alternative relationships yeah especially because the seeds of this one have been sown since last season yeah it's it's not like it comes out of nowhere they are clearly spending a lot of time together um they really like each other yeah and like also as it like not that scott doesn't have time for isaac right now but like scott does not have time for isaac right now he has found a different family for the time being yes yes um speaking of scott we should move on Mm. Scott is, like, low-grade terrified this whole episode. And he is putting on a big show about, like, you know, not wanting the twins to be around him or not needing help and, like, that no one's going to get hurt to Kira. But not only is he very worried about what Styles is going through but doesn't really have the language to articulate how to help or what they should do. He doesn't really even have the time to sort of focus on that one problem. Um, and then he also is, like... Pretty sure that the second the sun sets, Kira will be attacked by the Oni. And he is sort of playing into the game with the twins to be like, because they think it's him. Yeah. And this is all, again, like into anticipation in preparation for what is he thinks is going to be like an end all be all that evening, which like his dad gets stabbed. So that's so, crazy. But mm-hmm. it ends up being so much l- less insane than I think he is prepared for. But he does spend the whole episode preparing for it. Um, yeah, the extreme worry is a different look on Scott. Um, be- because it's not as though he hasn't been worried before, but he usually knows that there's like some kind of plan. He believes that they can just like power through. Um, and I think at a certain point he like has faith in his friends that they can take care of themselves uh, in certain circumstances. But yeah, he is terrified. Just so, like, I, I'm so not used to seeing that on him. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we saw a little bit in the the end of the last season mm-hmm. when he agrees to help Deucalion, you know, where he runs out of options to see it so early in a season. Um, to see himself isolating from, pe- from people who want to help him so early in a season is very interesting. Um Obviously, the twins aren't his number one choice, which is why Derek showing up and being like, I've been following Scott all day. You guys are bad at this <laughs> is like so phenomenal. Yeah, what a great little moment. <laughs> I'm just picturing like Derek, like with sunglasses and a hat behind a newspaper, like in the school watching <laughs> Scott. He would too. Yeah. Um... But this is to say that Scott is so worried and Derek is also understanding of that worry and is also anticipating something bad happening, which is why he follows Scott all day. Yeah. And then the, the whole scene at the house closing all the windows. And we've then find out that in the time since, um, the Nematon, I almost said Necronomicon. This is not Cabin in the Woods or Dawn of the Dead or no. What's that movie name? What? <laughs> Never mind. Doesn't matter. Anyway, um, the nematon. Mm-hmm. Um, once the nematon woke back the up, the nematode. Yes, that one. Um, he and Deaton a- ash-proofed their home. Uh, they <laughs> have a security system that only Melissa can arm. But what that is is a line of mountain ash only at the front door. 
Um, yeah, I have a lot of logistical questions. The first one being the mountain ashes in a bottle. Why, yeah. It, why couldn't, why couldn't Scott just throw it on the ground? Yeah. Uh, other question is, uh, do you remember in season one and or two where Styles has to do the mountain ash around the perimeter of a whole building? Mm-hmm. How does it only have to be at the, do- and like Derek says something about the wood on the floors. The, like the baseboards. Yeah. So technically that goes around the house, but there are places where it would be missing. And also there's a point. They would have to do all of the doors if that were the case. Yeah. And like when they get home, Scott closes all the windows. The implication being that there's like mountain ash in in the the windows. windows. And then the twins just like smash through one of the windows. And then the only smashes. I feel so bad for their home. I hope that, I mean, I'm hoping they have home insurance, but like. I'm sure they do. Any but responsible I just don't know. adult. No, I'm, I know they do. I'm just saying I just don't know if it's going to cover everything. And I, I just get worried <laughs> for the... I, we know that they have money problems. The financial well-being of the McCalls is a big part of season four. It really is. Um, but the other anticipation uh-huh. of Scott's life in this particular episode um, is he and Kira almost kiss... <gasps> Multiple also, times. Okay, he like asks her out, kind of. He basically is like, tell your parents you're on a date. Uh, and I think in a normal circumstance, he would have made it a little datey. Yeah. They would have ordered food or had like a floor picnic, you know? Love a floor picnic. I love a floor picnic. Um, uh, this is not a date. In fact, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's the it's the not get killed. Anytime somebody date. gets stabbed, it really kills the mood. <laughs> Uh, especially if it's like your dad who you hate and he's there for some reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a very common experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Kira is also sort of anticipating things on her own. I think she's been holding on to this Kitsune information probably since Scott said you look like a fox. Because this is like a well-read book of Japanese fairy tales, clearly, that she's had since she was a kid that she's reading off of. So for her to like sort of go have these like, what's the word? Symptoms? Well, I'm also wondering, I'm trying to remember if that is the same book that she used to explain the bardo. No, she had a packet of information. She has a packet of information. Um, also, I don't know if they're explaining the bardo in like a children's book. I they don't might be. I don't know. know. I don't know. I, I thought the idea of the book was very cute, though. Um, yeah, she probably doesn't know who to ask about it. Certainly not her parents. But then when Scott is... I don't want to say brave enough, like Scott's a werewolf. It's just a fact. But when he decides that he's going to show her his werewolf face, um, I think she knows that he's a person that she can trust with that information. Yeah, I agree. And I also wonder how much uh, Scott revealing his sort of true form to her led her to finally accepting that she might be experiencing something supernatural. Um, on like a level of self. Like I think that she going, having all this happen, she was probably for a really long time was like, why is this happening to me? And after sort of being confronted with Scott being a werewolf, it was less about like, why is this happening to me? And more of a, what am I becoming question? Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and it's, it's sense is like, it is its own kind of anticipation where she was just constantly slightly on the precipice of an answer. And I think that that really helped her. The thing that I find so interesting about this particular conversation that she has with Scott and even just like her discovery in the last episode and then this one that Scott and all his friends uh, are werewolves or banshees or whatever um, and her immediate like she's not scared. No. Her immediate thought isn't werewolf bad. Well, I think also if the first werewolf you meet is Scott. Hard to think that. Yeah, if the first werewolf you meet is Derek, you end up with, like, Styles' symptom <laughs> of being like, I only trust Scott because he was Scott first. Every other werewolf is sus- suspicious. Yeah, suspicious. Um, yeah, but I find it interesting that she doesn't apply that to, like, her own situation. She's so quick to believe that, like, werewolves in general are good, but that she is bad. Well, I think, and she brings us up, like, uh, Kitsune's are trickster spirits, mm-hmm. you know? And there is lore to say that they don't get along and like fox and foxes and wolves. And if she thinks that Scott is good, 
that could lead you to, I mean, it's obviously very binary thinking to be like, then I must be the one who's bad. Mm -hmm. Especially after you start learning more about what the Oni are after, you would sit there and be like, it must be me because I have no idea what's going on and I'm, you know, out of control in this one. Yeah, she is at a, a disadvantage of not knowing her powers where everybody else is like, I've been a werewolf for And even Derek so makes long. a comment where he's like, baby kitsunes can't hide their foxfire because they don't know how. Yeah. I. Why does Derek know all of these things? Well, um, for the same reason the Argents do. Yeah. I love that he was there, but I'm also just like, wh- where has he been? Uh, where has he been since like that morning following mm-hmm. Scott? It's only been, like, 12 hours. No, I know, but, like, generally in the season and also, like, he's not present in anyone's lives very frequently. I feel like stalking Scott is technically being a presence in his life, he but yes. does love Scott. He do. Um, let's kind of wrap this up with a quick Styles uh, melissa discussion. Ugh. Styles, um, I don't necessarily know if what you would call his experience right now is like um, anticipation. It's definitely foreboding. Mm-hmm. I think he is very out of control and no longer knows what to anticipate next. And that is what is so unsettling for him. It is a very big deal that Styles admits a weakness great, great enough to check himself into a hospital. But he doesn't even check himself in. Like, Melissa is, like, sit down on this bed. Yeah, but he goes to see a doctor. Yeah. He specifically... I mean, I him getting admitted is not mm. quite... what well, was probably not his end game. Yeah. But, like, he goes to go seek medical help. Yeah. Um, and the, the underlying reason to that, like, Styles probably is not thinking about this consciously. Um, but Melissa sure clues into it that all of the symptoms he's describing are the symptoms of the kind of dementia that killed his mom. Uh, frontotemporal dementia. Yeah. Um, so she is obviously anticipating immense struggle. Um, and I think that the second that she comes in is like, I'm having trouble, that's probably the first thing on her mind. And she is so, so sweet to him to not even begin to suggest that that's what she thinks is going on, even though that's clearly... Because she immediately goes to the records room to go compare notes. Um, well, it kind of takes her a minute. Like, she tells him that he's sleep-deprived, and it's only after she walks out that she looks at the symptoms again, and the light bulb goes off. Like, it's not her first thought. That's funny, because I actually thought it was the opposite. I thought she was taking those notes and was looking at them to be like, oh, shit, I really do have to go look. Well, no, because she's like, uh, hallucinations during the day. And she's like, you are ex- like severely sleep deprived. I really, I mean, I really just thought that, um, it was her trying to protect him. I, I didn't read it that way. I think it's certainly possible. I guess it's up to the wolf pack fight in the comments. Let us know <laughs> in the comments. Um, oh, which is, I guess the comments. Oh, in the Facebook group. Yeah. Like, yeah. Those Join comments. the Facebook group, you guys. Anyway, yeah, I mean, what we're obviously that is going to come to its emotional head in the next episode. Um, we're very excited. We're so excited. It's so good. Um, and I think that this is a good way to introduce that in a way where we're not bringing in everybody else immediately. Mm-hmm. Scott's not there. The sheriff is nowhere to be seen in this episode, and it's kind of frustrating. I could really use him. Especially they- when Raphael's <laughs> around. I'm like, I need a good dad in here to balance out this garbage. Melissa asks. She's like, should we call the sheriff? And Scott's like, no. I don't want him to get hurt. Yeah, which is admirable. But- also, screw the sheriff for being like, Stolinsky will never work in government again. Oh my God. Petty. Raphael is the worst the man. He's a single father. What's your problem? Yeah, really. What's your, what is your damage? <laughs> um, yeah, I, the, we, we kind of know, we kind of have an inkling that Styles is possessed by the Nugitsune, but like the added potential of it being the illness that killed his mother is so heavy. And 
uh, I love that choice. Like it. Oh, it's so so sad, and it's what makes it so impactful, especially to the sheriff and to Styles, mm-hmm. um, and to Scott, who had to watch his friend friends, go through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really brilliantly tragic choice on mm-hmm. part of the writers. I think that about wraps up our main discussion. Do you have any questions or observations? Questions? Yeah, this is a legit question, and maybe it's just because um, I wasn't paying attention. Like, why did the Oni stab Raphael? Because uh, he, it, like, approaches them in the same way that they have always defended themselves upon being attacked. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm just confused about it. The... They, they also know he's not supernatural. Like, they're not trying to check to see if he's a Nogetsune or anything. Like, he's disposable to them. Well, that's an interesting take. I just... In the past, when we've seen them fighting, it's mostly been like hand-to-hand stuff, and like they do pull the swords out kind yeah. of at the end of the last episode. But I just thought that was an interesting choice. It confused me. It was for the drama. Also, <laughs> to me, Raphael is disposable. So, so he does he deserve to get? St- was that for the viewers? Yeah, <laughs> it was cathartic for me personally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as was Scott being like your gene donor. Oh, Although the choice for him to be like, I got my hair color from you as if they're not all brunettes. Yeah. <laughs> also, he definitely got his hair color from, from his, his mom. mom. Yep. Um, what a weird choice. But it's one of those things where um, like the Oni are trying to break in and one of the twins just has to say, we have a problem. Yeah. We know. Yeah. We Lay have eyes. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, no, I think that those are all of my questions. I don't have any. This I mean... Is- I have a philosophical question. Why is Raphael such an asshole? Uh, he's a dude and he works in he's law a, enforcement. He's a man. Um, yeah, I, I, this episode was strikingly straightforward. I, it was so easy to follow. I, I thought it was really well directed. Everyone mm-hmm. was good in it. Hire w- women. What was my political platform more last episode? More women. Yeah. Hire women. Oh, so good. Um, any observations? Uh, there's a moment when Scott is trying to tell the twins not to follow him when he goes to talk to Styles, and he's like, yeah, no listening in, no mm-hmm. wolf hearing. And they're like, well, how would you know? And he's like, I'm a true alpha. And cause you're in the locker with him, you can see his face and you can see him thinking it up and the twins being so confused <laughs> and like, like, oh, holy shit. Like what, whoa. whoa, what can a true alpha do? Like what a, a lovely little morsel yeah. in the episode. I loved that. Um, la la la. What are some of my other observations? Oh, Allison has like a chain whip. Yeah, so hot. She's so cool. She uh, and she uses it to pull away the um the gun from the uh, gun Katashi. Even when Allison doesn't do anything, I'm like, oh, thank God she's here. <laughs> yeah. Um. There, there's a moment. I don't remember what prompted me to write this down, but I wrote down. You want to know how I got these scars? What was I saying? What was I thinking? About? I have no effing clue. <laughs> there was a moment where someone was like, said something Joker-esque. Said, yeah, and I was like, the Joker has infiltrated our that, society. Are you done with your observations the then? Because if we're reaching Batman quotes, <laughs> um, oh, just Mama McCall loves Styles. The mom moment hurts so good. Yeah. And also plays into how we're feeling about the front of temporal dem- dementia and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ouchie. What are your observations? Uh, Dylan O'Brien has beautiful hands. <laughs> Observed <laughs> by every woman who has ever been on the internet. We, we they have are said this. just beautiful. Multiple times on this podcast He should so hand far. model. I'm sure he's thought about it. It's a, uh, a good way to pick up extra cash when you're an actor. Not that he really needs it because he's working, but I did know an actress who is Martha Stewart's hands. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, how did you get into hand modeling? She's like, I literally just asked my agent. And I was like, that's crazy. So how does that work? She's like, uh, they tell me where I have to be. They buy me a plane ticket. They give me an expensive manicure. And then I hold up dishes. (laughs) They buy you a plane ticket to hand model. Yeah. Wow. I'm in the wrong line of work. Yeah. I mean, I... I I guess I could. (laughs) I mean, I could put myself out there. (laughs) My hands are just small. I don't know that they you would do be. have little hands. Little, I, I would have a hand model for men. <laughs> <laughs> They're big. Anyway, um, 
That was like my, the other thing I wrote down, I had others, but I think I found them to be not very pressing. I think that about wraps it up. Oh, no, 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 pack stats. Pack stats. Um, yes, we had seven eyes. Two of them were Oni. Actually, probably more when um, Styles is confronted, but I was so mesmerized. I was not counting. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one claws. In just like the creepiest, the other werewolf like walking down um, the stairs. The stairs with That's the how I would be as a werewolf. I just like let the claws go and be like down the stairs. Hello. Back to hand modeling. I think that we would yeah. hand model. I think that there might have been an ad with Chris's car, which is a GMC, um, but I didn't see it. So I don't know. And then we've no shirts, no Nike in this episode. At it all. would have been really gratuitous and weird. Yep. And I <laughs> thank God, no Nike. I would not have liked it. And then the male writers are like, let's get make everybody naked. And the female writers are like, that's not why anyone's actually here. The truly the only nod to like what the women want is just that they started dressing Dylan O'Brien in tighter t-shirts. And they put Daniel Sharman in a suit, ill-fitting, yeah. but a suit. Yeah. We, uh, we were gifted with what we need. Uh-huh. Um, one siren. It was loud and long, though, so it really so, got it got in there. Like, it counts as two, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Do you have an alpha of the week? Uh, hmm. Probably Melissa. Yeah, she does save Raphael. She saves Raphael. She gives them time to work out what the Oni are actually trying to do so that nobody else gets hurt. She, um takes care of styles and yeah, she just good moms all yeah. around yeah melissa with an honorary mention to isaac for his incredible acting performance <laughs> uh we also got a little bit of like uh the beast of javedon story a little bit i thought that was so interesting because it comes back a little a little tidbit a little, a little sprinkling yeah um anyway now that wraps it up for this episode of the teen wolf Wolf. if you enjoyed this podcast i really hope you guys leave us a review on itunes a written review if you leave us five stars we'll read your review out and give you a shout out or something on twitter uh if you want to follow us on twitter we're at teen wolf underscore real wolf which is also our instagram handle you can follow us on tumblr at teen wolf real wolf and we have a facebook group teen wolf real wolf podcast join it share the memes um join the discussion it's all in good fun other than that I have been Christian. And I have been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, Awoo!